We have some great Sunday school teachers. We are finishing up part three of a series that we started three weeks ago. And it was titled, Can God Use Me? That's where we started. And then last week we talked about, Am I Willing? And this week we're going to talk about, Can God Use Me? Flawed but Chosen. And today the I want us to look at that. And I want to say thank you again to Senior Pastor Philip Griffin of Elmbrook Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin, for giving me permission to use some thoughts from a sermon that he preached many, many years ago. As, as we begin, I want to look at uh, some points from last week's sermon, specifically the fact that God eventually rejected King Saul from being king of Israel because of what was in his heart. So I want to look at some things that Scripture points out as to the defects or flaws in Saul's heart. And we're just going to get right into this. First of all, Saul lacked confidence from God, in God. Even though God had used Saul in the past, Saul just didn't trust God to do the things that he said he would do. Isn't that amazing that you see God do things, you know he did those things. They didn't just happen on their own. You know you didn't do it. And still, when it comes time to trust God, you just don't trust God. Saul placed his confidence in his own abilities instead of in God. His confidence extended only as far as his own abilities, his own strengths, his own gifts and talents would take him. Saul never trusted God completely, and as a result, he didn't live a confident life. Secondly, Saul was impatient with God. God made it clear to Saul that Complete obedience meant not just doing what he said, but also doing it in the timing that he said to do it. It's not enough just to do what God says. We need to do it in the timing that he says to do it because he knows the end from the beginning. He, he knows what yesterday was, he knows what today is, and he knows what tomorrow is. So why would we not want to follow his timing? But instead of waiting on God, we see that Paul would take off on his own, he would take off on his own timing, And more often than not, the end was just absolutely disastrous. Number three, Saul did not obey God. This is closely related to being impatient with God in the sense that God would tell Saul specifically how to do something, and Saul would instead decide to do it his own way. No one here has ever done that, I know. And aren't you grateful? This wasn't just Saul missing out on God's timing No, this was missing out on the task entirely too many times. God would say, do this, and Saul wouldn't do it. And then God would say, don't do this, and Saul would do it. It It's Saul's motivation here that seemed to be at the root of the problem because many times his disobedience came from being afraid of what people might think of him. He was afraid that if he did what God said, that people would reject him. He was afraid that people would think less of him if he did specifically what God said. So what happens is he was more more concerned about people's opinions than God's opinion. And that is what was leading his heart. Number four, Saul never learned to trust God. At one point under Saul's leadership, Israel was facing a a challenge from a giant named Goliath. We know that story, most of us. And even though Saul had seen God do miraculous things, he was completely dismayed and terrified. Why was that? Primarily because he faced the problem as if there was no God. 
Saul thought, I can't fight that giant, and therefore that giant can't be beat. Once again, aren't you glad we don't do that? Although Saul acknowledged God with his mouth, in his heart and in his actions, he lived like God didn't exist at all. As I said last week, in reality, Saul was little more than a functional atheist. Number five, Saul never repented. True repentance is more than just having an attitude of sorrow for personal sin. It involves a change of direction. It involves a change of heart. There were times when when Saul made a statement of being sorry, but he never really repented. And how do we know that? Because he never changed. If you say you're sorry, you will change. If you really are sorry, you will change. If somebody came up to you and, and smacked you in the back of the head and looked and said, hey, I'm sorry. Hey, no problem. It's okay. And then they turned around and smacked you in the back of the head and go, hey, sorry about that. After about four or five times, you know what you're going to say? If you were really sorry, you'd stop slapping me in the back of the head. Because true sorrow will bring about change. It's more than just with our mouth. And it's no different in living for God. If, if we come to God and say that I'm sorry, then it needs to show in our life. So now we have a snapshot of Saul's heart. Let's see what 1 Samuel says about the heart of David. Obviously, God was not happy with these defects in, in Saul's heart. And in 1 Samuel 15, we read that God had rejected King Saul And then in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, we see that God sent the the prophet Samuel out to choose the next king. Actually, God did the choosing. Samuel was just the the messenger, message bearer. So, So God sent Samuel to the house of a man named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. He tells Jesse, bring all your sons out because I'm going to anoint one of them as the next king of Israel. Now, keep in mind, this was all done in secret because the young man who would be chosen would not immediately become king. So Jesse brings out seven sons, and they all look great. 1 Samuel 6.16 says that Samuel looked at the oldest son, a young man named Eliab, and he said, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. Look at this. This guy, if I ever saw a king in my life, this is king. But while Samuel was looking at the oldest son, the Lord said, don't judge by appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. So they went through all seven sons, and eventually God told Samuel, none of these seven will be king. The Lord has not chosen any of these. To Samuel, these young men looked okay. They looked very kingly. But 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that while Samuel was looking at the outward appearance, appearance, the Lord was looking at their heart. If it would have been some of us, we might have said, Hey, God, I, I, know you, I know what you said. I, I went where you told me to go. I did what you told me to do. And honestly, you know, a couple of these guys look pretty kingly to me. I think you're messing up here. And God's reply would have been, but you don't see what I see. And we're not finished yet. So Samuel asked Jesse, you have any more boys around? And Jesse says, well, yeah, there's the youngest one, David, but he's out tending the sheep. And Samuel pretty much says in verse 11, this is my translation, well, then I guess we're just going to stand here until David gets here. 
Okay. And they send somebody after David. Jesse brings David, and at this point, David is probably around 15 years old. He brings him to Samuel, and God says to Samuel, he is the one. I have seen his heart. I have seen his heart. He is the one I can work with. Anoint him as the next king. Now, here's something interesting. It would be about 15 years before David would actually become king. But God had chosen him. God had appointed him, anointed him, and set him aside to eventually replace Saul. Why did God choose David? To answer that, I want to look at some of the characteristics of David's heart and how, is they, how they distinguished him from Saul. First of all, David had humility. Even though he was anointed to be the next king of Israel, David didn't gloat about it to his brothers. Maybe he'd heard the story of Joseph and saw how that worked out. But anyway, he didn't, he didn't gloat about it. He didn't say, I, you know what, I'm not going to tend sheep anymore. Uh-uh. After all, I'm going to be the next king. You guys go take care of the sheep. But that didn't happen. God chose David because he was humble. And even though David had been anointed and appointed to be the next king of Israel, because it wasn't time for him to be king, he simply returned to the field and tended his sheep. And maybe it doesn't make sense to us that David would, would go back to sheep, go back to tending sheep after he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. But one of the things that God saw in David was that he had a shepherd's heart. So David continued to care for sheep, even though they were dirty, defenseless, dependent, and kind of dumb. In the long run, it proved to be great training for leading the people of Israel, who were much like those sheep. Later on, while David was still a shepherd, we read that Saul, who was still the king, drafted David into service because he was also a great musician. Saul was having serious mental issues. The Bible, that's what the Bible says. He was very troubled mentally, and David played the harp, and David could come and play the harp, and it would soothe Saul down. So he said, you know what? You're going to come live in, in the, the palace with me. That would have to be awkward, right? Knowing that you're going to take his place. He doesn't know it, but you do. And now you're in the palace. So David played the harp for Saul. But in addition to be a great, uh, being a great musician, he was a mighty warrior. Look at uh, 1 Samuel 16, 21 and 22. David came to Saul and entered his service. David, Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, Allow David to remain in my service so, because I am pleased with him. Notice David's humility as he served Saul. David knew that God had rejected Saul. He knew that God had anointed him to be the next king, but he served anyway. He didn't say this is beneath me. I ain't doing that. That ain't my job. No, Saul said, I need you to do this. He said, okay. He never lifted himself up. Instead, David lived to lift up God. If you don't believe me, read through the Psalms. Look how he lifted up God. Pretty much in everything he saw, he found something he could worship. So in his humility, David was also patient. So we know he's humble, he was patient. A part of patience, quite frankly, is humility, and we see this in David. David had to wait 15 years before he actually became king. For seven of those years, 
He was a fugitive. He was hunted down by a maniacal, angry, jealous, insane king, Saul, who wanted to kill David. For seven years, he hid out from Saul. David lived his, his life on the run, hiding out in caves to keep Saul from killing him. Now, here's a stark contrast between David and Saul. Watch this. David waited 15 years for the promise, right? Remember from last week, there was a time when Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel to arrive before going into battle. This was so that Samuel could come and offer a sacrifice to God before they went and fought the Philistines. Samuel made it clear to Saul, do not do anything until I get there. But Saul couldn't wait. He decided to offer the sacrifice himself. So how long did Saul wait before he decided to do what God told him not to do through Samuel? He waited a whole seven days. And even though Saul couldn't wait seven days, more than seven days, David waited 15 years for God to fulfill his promise. And for seven of those years, he was hiding out from Saul who was trying to kill him. You see the difference? When God looks for someone he can work with, he looks for someone who's willing to wait. He looks for someone who is humble, someone who says, I'm not going to take matter into my own hands. God, I'm going to wait on you. I know you have a plan for my life. I know you know what's best for my life. So I am going to wait. And I'm going to humble myself before you while I wait. That is what God is looking for. Last week, we brought out the idea of, of the default of our heart being what is truly at our core, what is what our heart, and the actions that automatically come from that. That's what default is. So today, could we ask ourselves, are humility and waiting on God defaults of my heart? Are humility and waiting on God defaults of my heart? So David also had integrity. Psalm 78, 70 through 72 basically describes why David was chosen. It says, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. The Hebrew word that is translated here as integrity means full and undivided. And David had a heart that was so filled with God that there was not any room for other stuff. His heart was filled and undivided. His heart wasn't divided by pride. It wasn't divided by ego. It wasn't divided by jealousy. It wasn't divided by anger or resentment. David was hunted for seven years by Saul, and he never developed a hateful spirit towards Saul. I'll let you think about that for a minute. Seven years. Knowing that he was going to be the king of Israel, knowing that God had taken the anointing from Saul, he hid out from Saul for seven years and never got an attitude. And somebody sits in church and the pastor says something they don't like and Boom, there's an attitude. 
The pastor wasn't even trying to kill him. On two different occasions, David had the opportunity to kill Saul, who was trying to kill him, but he didn't. Because David had a heart of integrity as opposed to having a heart filled with anger, hatred, and resentment. When you and I are hurt by somebody, we can either act like Saul, we can harden our hearts against God and become angry and bitter, determine that we're going to hunt down the offending party and kill them, maybe not physically kill them, but we'll kill them some other way. Or we can choose to release those resentments and forgive the way that David did. I cannot imagine hiding out from somebody who was trying to kill me for seven years and not getting an attitude. And David did. Maybe this is something we all struggle with from time to time. So ask yourself a question. It might point to where you stand on this. And here's the question. Are you growing in forgiveness or are you growing in bitterness? Are you growing in forgiveness or in bitterness? Have you been wronged? If so, have you been able or willing to forgive the person who hurt you? Jesus said, if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. Let's look at it that way, at this way. Try to follow me here. This is, this is important. There is a throne in our heart, and whoever or whatever sits on the throne is our king. Our king calls the shots. He is our primary audience, and that king controls us. And if we don't forgive someone, we put them on the throne of our heart, and they end up controlling us. They end up calling the shots. They become our primary audience. Because every time something negative happens in our life, we try to somehow connect it back to what they did to us. You say, how do you know that? Trust me. If you live with bitterness, you are being controlled by the person who wronged you. And you have a divided heart as opposed to a heart of integrity. Carrying around a grudge, carrying around hatred in your heart, someone said is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It's not hurting them. It's killing you. Let it go. Let go of the bitterness and the hatred and the resentment. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. It doesn't matter what they did. We're talking about a guy here who was less than 20 years old. And the king was trying to kill him, not just once or twice, seven years. And David never had resentment in his heart. He had a chance to kill Saul twice, and he never did it. God tells us to forgive. He wants us to forgive so that he can sit on the throne of our heart. He wants our hearts to be surrendered to him. God cannot create what he wants to create out of us if we have a divided heart. We'll move on. Unlike Saul, David was also obedient Acts 13.22 says that after removing Saul, he made David their king. 
He testified concerning him. This is God. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Hmm. He will do everything I want him to do. Look at the difference between David and Saul. God is saying, I have found this next person that's going to be the king of Israel because he has a heart like mine. He'll be obedient to what I tell him to do. In other words, God was saying, David is obedient. I see his heart. And at his core, his default is obedience. And I believe God also threw in there somewhere in another translation, I know he has flaws. I know he's going to make mistakes. But I know that his default will be to return to obedience. And you know what? I can work with that. God chose David to lead because David had learned how to follow first. God wants us to be leaders too, but if we're going to be leaders, we need to learn how to follow. When he was in the palace with Saul, before Saul was trying to kill him, he was an armor bearer. If Saul said, pick up my armor, let's go, David didn't go, why? No, I don't want to do that. Who do you think you are? No, he was obedient. If, if Saul said do it, he did it. You can't be a leader unless you've learned how to follow. We need to learn how to obey, submit. That's the kind of heart that God wants us to have. If you're going to lead your family, if you're going to lead in the church, if you're going to lead in your community, first you need to learn how to follow. So why do we obey God? I believe we obey God because at the core of obedience to God is a clear understanding that he knows what's best. Isn't that a great reason? to be obedient to God, to know that he just knows what's best. He knows what tomorrow brings. And if he says, don't do that today, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you on that one because you know what's going to happen tomorrow. But too many times we get caught up in the syndrome of, oh, God, you just don't understand Can you imagine being an all-knowing God and having to listen to that? Really? And yet we do that. But when we truly trust him, when we are truly obedient, because we know that he knows what's best for us, yeah, we might say those words because we're human and we're silly and we do silly stuff sometimes, but you know what? At the core of our heart should be obedience. And even though we say, God, you just don't understand why I can't do that, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Whatever you say. Saul thought he knew what was best. David knew that God knew what was best. So I would ask you today, what is your default? What is in your heart? At your core, do you know that God knows what's best? Or do you think that you know what's best? David also had 
tremendous trust in God. He had humility, he was patient, he was obedient, he had integrity, and he had trust. Let's go back to the story of David and Goliath. Very familiar story again. Goliath is facing down the armies of Israel. Everyone's terrified, including David's brothers. But David is confident. Now stop and think about that. King Saul was terrified. David's brothers were terrified. The very ones that Samuel thought, these guys look kingly. Those guys. God's choice makes a little bit more sense now when we see what happened down the road a little ways, doesn't it? How they acted in the face of opposition. But David shows up in the same, sees the same giant standing there, and he says, who's the big guy out there? Running his mouth. And after hearing what was going on, David goes, I'll fight him. Huh. People had to be wondering how this shepherd boy had the confidence to face a giant. But the answer is found where David says this, 1 Samuel 17, 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, and I don't know if this was like, sorry, see you later. Go and the Lord be with you. This is probably the end. Because Saul didn't have any confidence in God or he'd gone out there and fought him himself. But here's this little shepherd boy that says, I'll go fight him. He goes, okay, buddy. God be with you. David knew that God had been faithful in the past. All my life, you have been faithful. I love that song. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of the Lord. Hmm. And I believe that's, maybe he didn't know that song, but he had probably written some version of it back then. And he was singing, Lord, all my life, you've been faithful. And so I'm just going to take off and do what you say. He had faced things in the past that were bigger than him. Namely, he had killed a lion with his bare hands. He had killed a bear with his bare hands. And he knew that the same God that was with him during that would be with him when he faced this giant. David believed not in himself, but he believed in his God. He had faith in his heart, not doubt. David had faith that God would empower him to accomplish everything that God had called him to do. And sometimes that's exactly where we need to be. We don't understand. We don't see how it can work out. We know that we can't do it on our own, but we know that God told us to go and we will do what he told us to do and he will give us the power to do it. I believe God is saying to each of us today, I want you to face life with faith. I want you to repent and change the direction you're headed in. I want you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I want you to understand that through him, you are more than a conqueror. I want you to understand that all things are possible through him. I want you to understand that if you face giants in your life, instead of hiding in fear, I will be there with you. And then when we're willing to do those things, God looks at us, 
like he did at David. And he says, this is a heart that I can work with. This is a heart that I can mold. This is a heart that I can shape and do great things with. And I will ask you today, is this the kind of heart that you have? Another difference in Saul and David was that David had a heart of repentance. When we read about David in the Old Testament, we know that being a man after God's own heart doesn't mean that David never made a mistake. But it does mean that he was a man of repentance. And it means that when we sin, we don't stay in sin. 1 John 3, 6 says that those who abide in Christ do not keep on sinning. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And John isn't saying you're not going to sin. He essentially means that you're not going to be, com be comfortable in sin and you're not going to stay there. And when you do sin, you'll come back to him in repentance. That's what David did. He repented. After his affair with Bathsheba, he wrote in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Did David know he had, know he had done wrong? Absolutely. He had an affair with Bathsheba and then killed her husband. Not directly, but had him killed. And still, he said he, was, he knew he was wrong and he had a heart of repentance and came to God and said, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. So here's the main difference in, in Saul and David. One had a heart that denied God. And the other had a heart that was full of faith in God. What is your heart like? God wants to do great things in you and through you. He wants to do great things in your future. God wants to do great things through your family, your workplace, through your talents, through your education. He wants to do great things in you as you make plans to follow him. He wants to do great things in the church. But before God can do anything great, we have to give our hearts to him completely. Our core, our heart, needs to resemble that of David, not Saul. But unfortunately today, there are probably more people like Saul than David. They're comfortable with sinning and remaining in sin. And if that's you, you need a new heart. And God can and will give you a new heart. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. From now on, you'll be at war. Let's stick with that first part there. Fully committed to him. It doesn't say partially committed. It says fully committed. God wants your heart to be fully committed to him. So I would ask the question, is your heart fully committed to him? If your heart is fully given to God, then he wants to strengthen you and he wants to use you for great things. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. God can use you.
And I say that not flippantly. I say that sincerely. Because wherever you are in your life, no matter how old or how young, there are folks that you can reach that I can't reach because you can relate to them better than I do. There are folks that I can reach that maybe you can't reach. And that's why it takes all of us together doing what God calls us to do. First Peter 3.15 says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. So is Christ in your heart? Is he the Lord of your life? If you allow him, if you will allow him to, he can cleanse your heart. He can forgive you. He can purify your heart. And then he can sit on the throne of your heart. He will be the Lord of your life. He will call the shots in your life. And if God is Lord of your life, he can and will do great things in and through you. He can do great things in your relationships. He can do great things in your workplace, in your future, in, in your plans. But if you have not made him the Lord of your life, he cannot make you into the masterpiece that he wants you to be. And I will say this in closing. Let's look back at that block of marble that Michelangelo used to sculpt the statue of David from. As we saw last week, it was of such poor quality. It was so severely flawed that two other sculptors had rejected it. And yet Michelangelo came along and he saw that at its core there was something very workable, something very salvageable. And eventually he took that flawed piece of marble and turned it into a priceless work of art. Maybe you've lived your entire life seeking the things of this world. And still, you've never really found that something that satisfied you. And as a result, now you find yourself broken and bitter, full of regrets. Maybe your heart is divided by resentment. And you've become hardened by years of rejection. Maybe anger and frustration and unforgiveness have filled your heart. And it's directed at people who have hurt you. And maybe as a result, you feel hopeless. If this is you, please listen to me today. God sees past all of that. He sees the very core of your being. You are his creation and he loves you. I'm not saying he loves the life you've lived. But I will tell you with absolute certainty that he loves you. You are his creation, and he wants you to allow him to make you into the creation, the masterpiece that he wants you to be. When other people see nothing but flaws, like the two previous sculptors 
on that block of marble. He's Michelangelo that sees, I can work with this. Maybe you're in another group. Maybe you've served God for years. You've been living for the Lord for years. Like Saul, maybe you've even seen God do great things in your life. He's done great things in you and through you, but now things seem different. Maybe you still go to church, still sing the songs, say an occasional amen, but on the inside, it just doesn't seem like things are the way they used to be. Now you're afraid. You live in constant fear that things are falling apart in your life. You live in fear that that you might fail, all the while completely forgetting that God cannot fail. And if he is the Lord of your life, he will not fail. Maybe you too have been hurt. Maybe even hurt through church, people at church, friends at church circumstances in a church, whatever it is, maybe you've been hurt and you're clinging to bitterness and and resentment towards someone and it's destroying your life. And maybe even though you're living for the Lord, you have some regrets, regrets that have caused you to feel like, maybe you feel like saying, what's the use? It's too late. Possibly there's some disobedience there too that has caused your heart to be hardened to God and his gentle prodding. If you fall into one of these groups or in one of several other groups, let me assure you that those scenarios don't have to be the end of your story. You don't have to live the rest of your life as a flawed chunk of marble if you will listen today as God speaks to you and allow your heart to be broken by conviction if you will sincerely repent and if you truly want God to change you and purify your heart he will do that today no matter where you are in your walk As long as you are living, it's not too late. If you're living a victorious life and doing everything that God has called you to do, then I would say, good for you. You're a rarity. And if that is you, then I would also say, just ask God to draw you closer to him than you've ever been before. Say, Lord, use me for even greater things than what I've seen you do through me. If you've never made a start to live for God, or if you made a start some time ago and you've turned and walked away, today is the day to repent and change direction. And I assure you that if you will do that, God will forgive you, he will cleanse your heart, and he will start a work in you and make you into the masterpiece that he wants you to be. And all of this starts by asking God to search our heart 
Show us what is really there. And when we take an honest look at what he shows us, we will ask ourselves then, is my heart like Saul's or is my heart like David's? And no matter what the question, answer to that question might be, know this. Regardless of what you see, no matter how much brokenness you might see, God has chosen you. You. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He loves you. And although it may not seem to be so, from where you stand and by what you see, know that he wants you to be the masterpiece that he sees. Would you stand this morning? Maybe God has started a work in your life. And I think sometimes we would be like people that maybe walked around when Michelangelo was working on that that 13-foot-tall statue of David, and they'd look for a little bit and go, that's pretty nice. You did a good job. And I believe Michelangelo would look back at him and go, thanks, but it's not finished. Thanks, but it's not finished. And I believe that's where a lot of us are in our lives today. We look at where we used to be. We look at where we are now. And maybe even say to God, you know what? I'm looking pretty good. And God says back to us, thanks, but it's not finished. It's not finished. Let him finish the work that he has started in you. Let him create the masterpiece that he sees that no one else sees. And it all begins right here. Right here. As the worship team sings this morning, no matter where you are in your walk with God, would you just find a place and pray? You can pray where you stand. You can come to this altar. This altar is always open. If you need prayer, if you will come up, we will pray with you. Let's find a place and just seek the Lord this morning.